One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good evening. Today... An indictment was unsealed. On Tuesday afternoon, special counsel Jack Smith, a federal prosecutor in Washington, D.C., stood behind a podium and did something now oddly quite routine. He announced a criminal indictment of former U.S. President Donald J. Trump. Haven't we been here before? Yes, twice before. First in March this year, There were state charges over the alleged falsifying of business records to cover up payments to a former porn star. The case centers on an alleged hush money payment made to adult film star Stormy Daniels during the final days of the 2016 presidential campaign, just weeks before the election. Second was June this year, criminal charges over the retention and refusal to hand over to the FBI classified documents. This makes him the first former U.S. president in history to be indicted on federal charges. In a post on Truth Social, Trump said he had been indicted, quote, over what he called the boxes hoax. That is a reference to the boxes found at his Mar-a-Lago estate by the FBI last August, which contained classified materials. Which brings us to this week, third time unlucky. Charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States conspiring to disenfranchise voters and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021 was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, Donald Trump is charged with trying to overturn the 2020 election. This is really by far the most consequential indictment of former President Trump. Our guide once again through another indictment of Donald Trump is US editor of The Times and The Sunday Times, David Charter. 
let's remember, is the third criminal indictment that he's facing, and no previous president has faced criminal charges at all. In fact, the only one who's ever been arrested was Ulysses Simpson Grant for going too fast with his horse and cart. But this one is in another league to the other two, which were about hush money payments in Manhattan and retaining classified documents after he left the presidency for a couple of reasons. One, this is about his behaviour at the crunch point of his presidency. The Manhattan charges relate to his behaviour during the campaign. The retaining documents relate to his behaviour after his presidency. This is how the man behaved while he was president of the United States of America. But moreover, it goes right to the heart of the foundations of American democracy and to really the founding principles of America, which Thomas Paine wrote, that it was a republic where the law is king. And if any man can be above the law, then we don't have a constitutional republic anymore. And that's really what is being felt in America at the moment that this is an indictment that will test whether the rule of law in America is stronger than partisan politics. And even though we've seen many people go through the courts and, and even go to prison for what happened on and around January 6th and the Capitol riots, can we say, as shocking as all of this is, that, that we're surprised that Donald Trump has been dragged in in this way? I'm not surprised because he's been under investigation by this special counsel for many months. And when you've seen so many, if you like, foot soldiers of the riot at the US Capitol on January the 6th, 2021, being charged and convicted, over a thousand arrests in connection with that, and hundreds have got criminal sentences as a result. But they didn't all act spontaneously and separately. This is the indictment that draws together the conspiracy, the overarching scheme to delay, disrupt, and perhaps overturn the election results on that day, January the 6th, 2021, but also setting out all the other ways in which Trump and his associates tried to retain power. Hmm. So Donald Trump's appeared in court and obviously had to enter a plea. Which way did he go? Well, Donald Trump, as he has done in the previous two criminal cases that he faces, pleads not guilty to these charges, these four charges so far in this indictment. There may be more added later. But Donald Trump is not a man to back down. The best form of defence for Donald Trump is attack. So let's get into this actual case then and the 45-page indictment this time. Um Take us through the four charges, the four big charges. So we have four charges relating to basically three conspiracies. So we have conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. And that means civil rights of American people to have their votes counted in line with the legal process of an election. And basically over 42 pages of this indictment, the case is laid out in chronological order as Trump leads the attempts in various ways to subvert the election. And that is said to be the summary of the first charge of conspiracy to defraud the United States. And then 
the other charges follow and basically saying, see the above for details. Hmm. And the conspiracy that all of these relate to, where does, where does the indictment start the story? When does the conspiracy begin into their mind? So the election was held on November the 3rd, 2020, but the indictment dates the conspiracy from around November the 14th, 2020, obviously 11 days after the election day. And I think by November the 14th, it was clear to everybody, apart from Trump and his circle, that Joe Biden would be the next president. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. We were winning in all the key locations by a lot, actually. And then our numbers started miraculously getting whittled away in secret. And in terms of trying to fight this and what the conspiracy actually entails, Donald Trump stomping his feet and shouting and saying, this was rigged, I actually won. Correct me if I'm wrong, it isn't actually illegal. But what is it that he actually did? What were the actual steps that he took, which gets him on the wrong side of the law, allegedly? Yeah, that's right, because the indictment itself makes clear that under the First Amendment, the freedom of speech clause in the Constitution, it's perfectly in order for political candidates to make wild claims and even to lie in the course of their campaign. But what sets it apart, and this is what the prosecutors hope to prove, is that Trump, knowing that he'd lost, then set out to deceive all those around him in a criminal conspiracy to retain power. And that's where it crosses the line from free speech debate into a criminal action of abuse of power. And of course, David, it's not just Donald Trump necessarily. Of course, he is at the centre of this and he's named, but... Other people, unnamed, are mentioned this in this as well as co-conspirators. That's right. There are six individual co-conspirators, most of whom are quite easy to identify because they had senior roles in the inner circle of the push to overturn the 2020 election. For example, Conspirator One is pretty clearly Rudy Giuliani, the former New York mayor who became Trump's personal lawyer and really led the legal attempts to claim fraud in different states. And in terms of actually trying to achieve that overturning the results of the election, what is it alleged in the indictment that Trump and this band tried to actually do? So first of all, let's just recollect how the election works in America, because this is fundamental to the conspiracy. It's not a straight majority of voters that elect the president. It works on a state-by-state basis. So, for example, if a candidate wins the election in the state of Wisconsin, they win 10 electoral college votes. And in Arizona, another swing state, they would win 11 electoral college votes. It's winner takes all in each state, which has a weighted number of votes towards the full electoral college, where 270 votes are needed to win the presidency. And so some weeks after the outcome of each state election is decided, a group of people are formally chosen to represent that state's result, and they're known as the electors. So the electors meet on a given day, sign a piece of paper, and that's what is conveyed to Congress to show 
the formal results of the election in each particular state. By the time this happens, it's really a ceremonial matter and we already know who's won the presidency. And that's where this conspiracy, as laid out in this indictment, comes into play. Trump and his team trying to insert themselves into this process and basically stop the electors from some states saying to Congress, we go for Biden. They were trying to change that. Yeah, that is exactly what the plan was. So the indictment sets out just how far this scheme went. On the very day that groups of electors were meeting, as per normal in an American election, in various states to certify Joe Biden's victory, an alternative group of Trump electors were meeting at the behest of Trump and his allies to sign pieces of paper saying that he actually was the winner. Although a lot of them, I think the indictment certainly suggests, were tricked into this by Trump allies saying, well, let's just do this just in case we need this piece of paper because fraud is eventually proven in this state. So Donald Trump and his team of co-conspirators gathered together a, a group of Trump electors in various swing states, essentially fake electors, to try and falsely give those states votes to himself instead of Biden. Yes, that's exactly what's charged in the indictment. In some states, Trump and his co-conspirators actually recruited state officials to grant access to the Capitol building in those states for the fake electors so they could gather and vote there on the same day as the legitimate process was happening to confirm Biden's victory. And that, I guess, is the point at which it crosses over into being illegal, not just Trump saying this should happen, but actually putting plans in motion to actually try and make it happen. Obviously, they didn't succeed and the state electoral results were certified as they should have been, which then gets us to January the 6th. So by the time we get to January the 6th, we've got to another stage of the alleged conspiracy. Our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore. And that's what this is all about. And to use a favorite term that all of you people really came up with, we will stop the steal. By the time Trump stands up to speak, to a large crowd of his supporters who've gathered in the US Capitol. He knows that Mike Pence, his vice president, has told him, listen, I cannot stand up in Congress and throw out the votes of various states. It's just not my role. So Mike Pence has told Trump this repeatedly. However, Trump tells the crowd that Mike Pence may do the right thing, and he hopes he does do the right thing, in inverted commas, by sending back the votes of half a dozen swing states. If Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election. All he has to do, all in, this is, this is from the number one or certainly one of the top constitutional lawyers in our country. He has the absolute right to do it. This is part of 
allegedly, uh, winding up his supporters to believe that there is a credible case that Trump could overturn the election and that Mike Pence will play ball. Obviously, he doesn't play ball and the violence around the Capitol gets worse and worse. We end up with a situation where members of Congress are barricading themselves in their offices and their staff are in there as well, frightened. People are attacked. People die. Surely at this point, does Trump's tactics change? So here we get to the final leg of the conspiracy and the obstruction and the denial of civil rights which is that Trump delayed any attempt to call off the mob long enough to see how things would develop that day. But moreover, he and his allies were trying to contact members of Congress who, of course, were locked down, seeking to hide from marauding Trump supporters. And even at this stage, they were doing their best to try and encourage supporters among the elected members to throw out the results of swing states and to go along with Trump's plan to insert himself as as the winner in states that he lost. Even after order has been restored to Congress on the evening of January the 6th, 2021, and they go back in to complete this formal process of declaring Joe Biden's victory, the indictment reveals that co-conspirator one most likely Rudy Giuliani, is calling members of Congress to try and convince them, based on allegedly false claims of election fraud, to still, at this late stage, to delay the certification of Biden's victory. And it even has a voicemail repeated in the indictment to one United States senator from co-conspirator one saying, we need you, our Republican friends, to try to just slow it down so we can get these legislatures to get more information to you, referring to the state legislatures. And the voicemail continues, I know they're reconvening at eight tonight, but the only strategy we can follow is to object to numerous states and raise issues so that we get ourselves into tomorrow, ideally until the end of tomorrow. Okay, so even after order had been restored to the Capitol on the 6th of January, Trump's team was still contacting people in Congress, trying to get them to delay the confirmation of Biden's victory. And thinking about what you said earlier, the prosecutor is trying to prove that Trump knew that he had lost the election and tried to overturn the results anyway, so that he did all of this knowingly. How on earth do you prove what Trump knew? Throughout this indictment, the prosecutors are at pains to set out how members of Trump's inner circle, who are very senior Republicans, people who desperately wanted uh, him and the Republicans to win the election, were continuously telling him, Donald, the game is up. Yet in spite of repeatedly being told by his closest advisers that he'd lost the election, the indictment sets out to show that Donald Trump simply carried on, insisting he was the true winner of the 2020 election, all the while knowing this was a lie. Coming up, how do you prove what was going on in Donald Trump's head? That's in a moment.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Most people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. David, you said just now that the indictment lays out that not only did Donald Trump allegedly do all of this, but he did so knowingly. How do they actually lay that out? Because that's a difficult thing to try and prove, isn't it? So the indictment lists a number of people who all told Trump that his claims about election fraud were untrue, right up to his vice president, Mike Pence, who said he'd seen no credible evidence of fraud that would have changed the outcome, but also including senior leaders of the Justice Department, the Director of National Intelligence, the White House Council, state legislatures and officials. And later on in the indictment, it singles out the Deputy White House Counsel, who told Trump in December 2020 that there is no world, there is no option in which you do not leave the White House on January the 20th, which mm. is Inauguration Day. And I guess the other half of that story, which they need, it is not just people telling this to Trump, but also him then willfully ignoring that advice. Yes, he totally ig- ignored that advice. I mean, it lays out, the indictment lays out examples where he was told by a state official from Michigan, for example, that his claim of a suspicious vote dump in Detroit coming late in the night was totally untrue. But the next day, Trump simply tweeted to the world that there had been a suspicious vote dump and that Michigan was in quotes corrupt. And this happened in various other states. He kept maintaining there were 10,000 dead voters that voted in Georgia, even though the senior Republican officials there told him there was nothing of the kind. He said that 30,000 illegal immigrants had voted in Arizona, uh, even though state officials told him that this, again, Republicans told him that this wasn't true. And he just went out and tweeted the claim. And in fact, the director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency announced that the election was, quotes, the most secure in American history. So a couple of days later, Trump fired him. (laughs) And there's even, I guess evidence of of him even pushing back on people who who tell him these things that he doesn't want to hear. Well, the most stunning example of Trump's pushback in the indictment is poor old Mike Pence telling him he simply can't stand up in Congress and throw out the votes of millions of voters. Trump just replies to him, you're too honest. 
which is pretty cut and dry, I guess, when you see it written down in all of this context. So in terms of all this massive information we've got about Trump's actions, what he was being told, how he was responding, all in this two-month period after the 2020 election, do we know how the Justice Department and this special counsel, who we heard at the top of the episode, how they actually got this evidence? Has everyone just been off talking to them? Well, first of all, we strongly suspect they were following closely the congressional hearing in the House of Representatives that was in into the January the 6th riot and the events leading up to it, where a, a lot of insiders from the Trump circle famously spoke out about their misgivings of what was happening over the claims of fraud and the efforts to overturn the result. But they've also held their own grand jury hearings and Mike Pence, for example, was called before the grand jury, and uh, he has mentioned a large number of times in the indictment. So you can see that really senior people have contributed mm. to the evidence. And so if it does come before a court, we can expect some very interesting witness statements, perhaps appearances. And when will that be exactly? Because, well, he's, he's got a busy schedule, has Donald Trump, in terms of various court appearances and cases. Do we know how long it will take this one to actually reach a courthouse? Yes, not only court appearances and cases, but the small matter of an American presidential election happening in 2024. So already Trump has a court date in March in Manhattan for the falsifying accounts charges. The federal case for retaining classified documents is due to go to trial. But Jack Smith, the special counsel, has said he wants to expedite this case. That could mean a trial early next year. It does seem extraordinary that we could go into a general election on November the 5th, 2024, not knowing whether the main Republican candidate, who's most likely to be Trump, Mm. not knowing if he is guilty of these major conspiracy and fraud charges that in this case carry a total of 50 years imprisonment. In the retaining documents case, they carry a cumulative total of over 400 years in prison, although that that would be very unlikely, of course. Although we strongly suspect that one main tactic of Trump's lawyers will be to delay proceedings so that there's no trial before the election. Because is the logic that if he's found guilty of these federal charges and he wins, he could pardon himself? Yeah, this isn't something that was widely discussed by constitutional experts, but of course it's never happened in Mm. American history that a president has tried to pardon themselves. But I think the consensus is that the president has such wide-ranging powers of clemency that it is possible for an American president to pardon themselves. So that certainly would be one tactic of his defence team. And the other, of course, is for Trump to continually maintain his case in the court of public opinion and to create such an intense atmosphere surrounding the prosecution that it is really partisan and a weaponization of the justice system by the Democrats that perhaps one or two members of of a jury might agree with him and might not be willing to convict on those grounds. And of course that jury will be made up, correct me if I'm wrong, of of people in Washington, D.C., because that's where this is being tried. If if that's the case, 
does that help or hinder him? Yeah, this is going to go to trial in Washington, D.C., which is probably the most Democrat-leaning area of the entire country, where in the 2020 election, 92% of voters backed Joe Biden. So you can see what the Trump team is up against in Mm. jury selection. And have we heard from Donald Trump, his campaign, anyone who speaks for him on this? Yes, Trump has characteristically rejected the charges and the whole premise of the prosecution uh, in the really the strongest and most hair-raising terms possible, even for Donald Trump. He's compared the indictment to the methods of Stalinist Russia and Nazi Germany. And so you can see he's already really ramping up the rhetorical defence in this case. It does seem as the legal net closes around him, Trump is prepared to come out with the really the most outrageous language to defend himself. And this is why I say it's possibly the most momentous case facing America since the founding of the Republic 247 years ago. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Luke Jones, and my guest, US editor for The Times and The Sunday Times, David Charter. If you're a subscriber, you can read all of David's coverage of this historic moment in US history at thetimes.co.uk, or you can find it in print in the paper. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel, with production help from Priyanka Deladia. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you can, leave us a review, a nice one please, it will help others find us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>